DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller's Subaru. Time to talk University of Utah football with Josh Newman. Utes writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Josh, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. I was a little entertained there. 11 months on the beat. You finally saw a Ute game. Not a Ute game with fans. Not a Ute game with locker rooms. But you saw a Ute game. I did. Well, look, I guess, you know, it's uh, a beggars can't be choosers situation, right? <laughs> part, of right. My, part of my ongoing shtick here was I've been here for months and months, haven't covered a football game. Uh, we had the, you know, we had four different schedules. Uh, the Arizona game got canceled. The UCLA game got canceled. Finally, we get to Saturday night, uh, you know, with USC in town. Uh, the game got played, and, uh, you know, it was some semblance of normalcy. As you said, no fans, no locker rooms. Things were a little awkward, but football season at Utah in mid-November has started, and we push forward now. And already a change at quarterback. What do you suspect or know about that? Yeah, that was interesting. So, you know, things had kind of sounded like they'd been trending towards Cam Rising winning the job, you know, for the original November 7th opener. Uh, you know, he does, um, you know, he does start the game on Saturday, uh, 14th offensive play, fumble. Uh, he gets on the ground to go get it. Uh, you know, he takes a shot to his shoulder. Jake Bentley comes in um, and he finishes the game. Uh, we are waiting on official clarity exactly on what's going on with the quarterback situation going into this weekend. But it does sound like Rising was, you know, pretty sufficiently injured, at least to the point where it sounds like Bentley's going to start uh, this weekend, whoever Utah winds up playing. So, um, you know, I've covered I've covered my fair share of, of quarterback competitions and quarterback situations through the years. So this is, you know, this isn't anything new. You know, I guess we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. But there are some, you know, long-term ramifications here if Rising is, you know, is very, very hurt. Uh, and Bentley winds up starting the rest of the year. Um, the eligibility clock, you know, please remember, you know, that the eligibility clock is frozen for everybody this year. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to see what the long-term effects of this Cam Rising injury are. So when you looked at the depth chart, Josh, you had a bunch of oars, particularly on the offensive line, and two of those oars were involving freshmen. Now, uh, they were redshirt freshmen. I think one was uh Bills, and then Kump. Both those guys ended up starting, and then you also had a redshirt freshman already starting. So that left them with three freshmen, either redshirt freshmen, but nevertheless freshmen, as it, as it were. Uh, so under those circumstances, as I look at the game, I'm not really surprised, particularly when you throw in the quarterback change, that the offense struggled. No, the offensive line certainly struggled. Um, as you said, look, uh, 60% of the offensive line – was playing in their first collegiate game. That's number one. Uh, two, you know, it sounds like the offensive line was one of the units that was really banged up from the COVID outbreak earlier this month. So uh, reps and continuity was kind of tough to come by, you know, throughout the buildup to this game. Um, and then you take all that and, oh, by the way, USC was in town with this ferocious defense and guys were flying everywhere and they were stunting all over the place and they were bringing pressure, bringing pressure. So uh, tough night for the offensive line. Uh, the quarterback change didn't help. Um, but, look, now they're, they're, they seem to be beyond the COVID outbreak and most of their guys are out of quarantine, out of isolation. So you have you – have pretty much what your depth chart will look like now, those guys are now available. So 
you know, we go through this week, right? They'll get back to work today, and you'll get a full week of reps and continuity, and the first team offense will be better defined. So you would think, you know, this week things will get a little easier, and they, they presumably will look a little better going into the weekend. So, Josh, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that some of the guys who started aren't really first-team guys. So as much as guys improve, how much do you just expect to see different guys out there under the theory that they had enough guys out of quarantine to play, but they didn't have all of their starting offense out, offensive line out of quarantine? How reasonable a guess is that? No, you do make a good point. And look, it, it, I was up in the press box right with my binoculars, and I'm looking and I'm checking guys off on the on the flip chart, but it it appeared that they they did have the vast majority of their of their starting offense was available against USC, uh, as you alluded to. Not everybody was available, but the vast majority of the offense was available. Um, in terms of the offensive line, yeah, I think I think you might see a little tweak between the USC game and the game this weekend. But for for the most part, it it did appear like most of their guys were available. It's hard for me to really criticize them for losing because the circumstances are so bizarre. And I think that, you know, if they would have been playing game three, they would have looked better as far as that goes. And we know that was SC's uh, third game. So I put that aside. I'm trying to look for trends that I can see going forward, not just for the next three or four, how many games they play, but into next season. And hopefully we get back to some degree of normalcy next season. And I'm wondering, you know, they, they, they've got, I don't think they have anybody who touched the ball in the backfield who was a senior as far as the running backs go, unless I'm missing somebody. Uh, and it looks to me like that competition is still wide open because I didn't really see anybody separate themselves. I thought Ty Jordan looked good in the times he got the ball. How would you evaluate that position? I think you said it well. Um... You know, Kyle said uh, more than a couple of times during fall camp that you know the um, the running back situation was fluid. Uh, they have four guys that they like. Uh, all four guys were going to touch the ball in the opener, and that's what happened. Uh, you know, Ty Jordan and Devin Wilmore and Devin Brum- excuse me, Ty Jordan, Jordan Wilmore, Devin Brumfield, um, and Makai Bernard all got touches. And yeah, it's still. A little undefined you know I liked what I saw from Ty Jordan he was as advertised um, you know ex- explosive can do a multitude of things not just as a running back but also as a pass catching option out of the backfield um, you know Devin Brumfield always struck me as kind of that bell cow 25 carry guy uh, 25 carry game guy if if one were to emerge so you know we'll see what happens here moving forward but the situation um, the situation is definitely still fluid. There is nothing to find coming out of that coming out of that game. I would agree with that, but I do think there's a trend, and that is that Ty Jordan's gonna get the ball more because when Kyle says in the post game, I thought Ty Jordan was good, but we went away from him, we gotta get him the ball. It's like, yeah, that may sound like a suggestion in the post game, but that's not how that's gonna play out. He's gonna get the ball more. Not exclusively, no, he, but more. Not exclusively, but more, and that you know, we don't watch practice, right, mm-hmm. under these conditions. It's, it's been strictly Zoom calls. I haven't watched one second of practice since the beginning of March. So you have to re- really listen to what Kyle is saying on these Zoom calls and try to read between the lines. He has unprompted mentioned Ty Jordan more times than I can count. You know, very impressed by Ty Jordan throughout fall camp. Even going back to March, um, you know, the coaching staff was very high on this kid. 
So that was one where I was really intrigued to see finally what this kid could do. And yeah, he, he showed some flashes. You know, he has a nice burst out of the backfield. Um, again, good hands out of the backfield. He can catch the ball. Um, I assume at, at some point, maybe not this year, but at some point down the road, we're going to, we're going to see him as a punt returner or a kickoff returner. So, uh, you know, you look at all the, all the young options on the roster. It seems pretty clear, even after one game, that that kid is really part of the future planning. From the defensive perspective, we know that I mean they, they may go the rest of uh, who knows a hundred years before they send that many guys to the NFL. So you'd have to think that all right, it wasn't going to be as good, uh, and we all expected that. But I think that, and you can't really do that. It's like saying you know if you take away those six runs in the fourth inning, we beat those guys. It doesn't work that way. But if you take away the missed tackles, then I would have graded them out probably. B plus A minus. Now, still had some missed tackles in there, but overall, I thought it was a pretty good effort. I I agree. I thought it was a good effort. Um, I, look, you're playing you're playing against arguably the best quarterback in the Pac-12 um, in Keaton Slovis. They've got any number of, of of big physical wide receivers, and and you know that was a real trial by fire, right, for this Utah secondary. Which you take all the members of this secondary, they had zero career starts between them, right? Clark Phillips, true freshman at cornerback. Nate Ritchie is a true freshman at strong safety. So, you know, look, this is not like Idaho State or Montana State or some FCS patsy that's, you know, that's coming in here. This is USC. So I thought they showed well. Um, maybe giving a little too much cushion on some plays, some missed tackles. But for game one, I thought those kids played, you know, pretty well. Uh, I thought Slovis was, you know, was picking on Clark Phillips there for a, a little bit. But Look, he stood his ground. He finished with nine tackles. I thought he played very physical, very smart. So, again, it's like, how do you, you know, this is such a weird year, a weird season. How do you, how do you grade these kids? How do you grade these position groups, you know, under these conditions, coming off a COVID outbreak? It's only a four-game season. Bottom line is I thought they played pretty well, and that was a pretty, that was a pretty encouraging opening effort for the secondary. I think the things that encouraged me about it um, were the fact, uh, I thought Kyle picked the right word when he said scrappy. If it wasn't his opening remarks, it was the first question, but it was early in his press conference. Because although they gave up some big plays and missed some tackles, I thought they were good in the red zone. That game could have easily gotten out of hand. I've watched a lot of USC football over the years, and those games often get out of hand. But they made SC settle for field goals. They'd get a big run, but they settled for a field goal. They did a big pass play, but they had to settle for a field goal. So I thought that was a, uh, a big positive. And basically, with the turnover inside the five-yard line or at the five-yard line on the, on the fumble when the quarterback gets hurt and Rising goes down, that seven I don't really hold them responsible for. And they got seven points. So I thought those are the two things to kind of hang your hat on. You didn't, you didn't give up that many points, and you held them to field goals after you gave up big plays. Yeah. No, that's well said. Again, as you said, these USC games, typically with this offense, they can be explosive all, all through the years, no matter who the quarterback is. This particular quarterback, Keaton Slovis, the kid's a stud, and they've got options. And especially, I'm sorry, in the second half, they held them to two field goals um, early, they weren't giving up touchdowns. They weren't giving up crazy big plays. I thought, all told, I thought the I thought the Utah defense played well enough to give the offense a chance to make it a game in the fourth quarter. And we've already been through what the offensive struggles were. But again, defense played well enough. Thirty-three points. You see the you see the total yardage yielded. I understand all that. 
defense played well enough to give Utah a chance to win, I thought. If I'm handicapping, I think the best chance this week of their opponent would be Washington. Yeah, I agree. Um, we're going to see how this whole thing plays out. Um, I thought it was interesting yesterday that the Pac-12 released its game times and they moved the Utah-Arizona State game from Saturday to Sunday. Um, that, at least to me, that indicated that Arizona State thinks they may be able to play this week, but let's give them an extra day just to kind of get themselves together, similar to what the Pac-12 did for Utah a couple weeks ago when they were supposed to play at UCLA on Friday night. The game got moved to Saturday. Uh, game ultimately ultimately got canceled, but they were giving Utah some more time to to figure things out. So, look, it's a it's a big puzzle, right? And BYU is a part of the puzzle, and you know we all know what's going on. So, as of right now, it's Utah, Arizona State. If I was a betting man, yeah, it it, it kind of seems like it's going to end up being Utah, Washington, but it's only Monday morning, and as we've all as we've all found out the last couple of weeks. These things can happen on a dime, and they can happen very, very late in the week. Yeah. Uh, USC is uh, 3-0 and playing 2-0 and Colorado. I thought the one thing when you mentioned Slovis, the one thing I took away with Slovis is um, he doesn't look like he's throwing the ball as well as he did a year ago. I thought he floated some balls into areas and got some plays out of it. I don't know, shoulder, elbow, wrist, but it won't surprise me to find out that he's playing through something that they don't want to talk about right now. Were you left with the same impression? This is my first time seeing Slovis live, mm-hmm. so you know my you know my vantage point is not as deep as as you guys. Um, I thought I think Slovis has looked solid. Um, did he look better last year, based on stuff I saw on TV? Yeah, maybe, but he but he does look pretty good to me. Um, and if we're going to say that he's not playing great or or playing well, he is certainly playing well enough that you. Um, that USC is three and zero. It may be three and zero by the skin of their teeth, having to have escaped against Arizona State, and you know they needed to drive late against Arizona. Bottom line is, Slovis has them three and zero, and you know that is essentially you know the de facto Pac-12 South title game this weekend with Colorado coming in. The winner is in the driver's seat to to win the South and uh, and play for the Pac-12 title, assuming we you know we actually get to a championship game here. Before we let you go, I want to ask you what's going on with men's basketball. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't even know if they've got a schedule out, and other teams have had schedules. Uh, so it looks like they may not be getting on the court soon. Yeah, so we reported the entire schedule. The schedule is not out. Um, we reported last week that they are going to open up against the University of New Orleans on Friday night at the Huntsman Center. Um, there is a COVID-19 situation going on inside the men's basketball program. The severity of it has not been made public, uh, but it doesn't sound great. Um, I'm hearing a large number of COVID-19 positives inside the basketball program, and it is not limited to the players. So more clarity hopefully is coming today as to whether or not they are going to open the season on, on Friday night. As you said, no schedule yet. They are supposed to open Friday. That game is locked in. And we'll see, uh, but it does it it doesn't sound like it's trending in a in a positive direction. I'll say that. Yeah. If there is a phrase that brings twenty twenty, you know, just kind of summarizes it in one moment, they are locked in. So we'll see. I think that's the <laughs> phrase. 
Yeah, um, locked in, uh, tentatively speaking. <laughs> right. This, this whole this whole year is tentatively speaking. Um, let me just say for the record, um, you know, as the men's basketball team has tried to has tried to you know revamp their schedule and figure out the non conference schedule, all of the new game contracts for the men's basketball team they all include language pertaining to COVID nineteen, and that if there is a COVID nineteen situation. You know, they reserve the right to cancel the game. Nobody owes anybody any money. So this is the new world we're living in, right? I've been, I've been covering college athletics for a long time. I, I've looked at umpteen million game contracts through the years. This is a new one, right? These game contracts now have COVID-19 language to cover themselves for, for you know, pandemic-related reasons. So you guys know I'm a, I'm a basketball guy. I enjoy it. I really, really hope to cover a game on Friday night at the Huntsman Center. I don't think it's trending in the in the right direction right now. Josh, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on. I know you got multiple things to follow here. Uh, we appreciate you tracking them all and sharing with us. Thank you guys for having me. Josh Newman, you can read him in the Salt Lake Tribune. You can follow him on Twitter as well. When we come back, Eric Walden from the Tribune to talk NBA free agency and Utah Jazz moves. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Time to welcome in Eric Walden, Utah jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Eric, good morning. How are you doing, guys? Good. Good. We didn't make as much money this weekend as all the NBA players, but we're pretty good. Yeah, right. Like, there's always there's always something a little bit disheartening about spending the weekend reading how many millions of dollars <laughs> other people are making, right? And no, knowing that's just a little bit out of your reach. <laughs> yeah, more than a little. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, obviously, favors coming back. So it looks like the Jazz uh, defensive identity is going to return and it's going to be a little bit better than it was last year. But do you think that the offense will suffer? You know, I'm kind of of two minds about this. Um, I feel like bringing Fave back, yeah, the the main motivation there is definitely uh, they felt like every time Rudy went to the bench, uh, the the productivity took a nosedive, especially defensively. Um, for all the improvement that that Tony Bradley made uh, last year, and and he did, they, he just wasn't great at recognizing defenses. He was always a little slow to react. So so bringing Fave back is definitely intended to address that side first. Now, as for the impact that he has offensively. I think that he probably is not going to be playing enough minutes to make a significant impact there. I don't, I don't think they're going to be taking a dive. 
Um, this is a team that when Boyan Bogdanovich was healthy and Mike Conley was healthy and when uh, Jordan Clarkson was was playing with them, they were among the top offenses in the league. You know, I think they led the league in scoring after uh, in, in the month after they acquired Clarkson. So I would expect they'll probably still be up there. You know, part of that will come down to Clarkson had a career year from, from the three-point line, you know. Um, is that is that kind of an anomaly, or is that due to the fact that he was playing with uh, arguably the most talented cast he's had around him, you know, where, where Donovan Mitchell can take some attention, where Boyan Bogdanovich can create some space, where Mike Conley can generate some gravity for him, you know. Um, I think probably Conley, or uh, sorry, Clarkson is, is a little more key to their their offensive efforts than than Derek Favors is. And then on top of that, you know, while Fave isn't a great offensive player, uh, we've seen before he has some uh, he has some pick and roll synergy with Joe Ingles, and that's 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 nothing to be discounted, you know. Um, so I think I suspect they'll they'll probably be one of the better offensive teams in the league again. Yeah. So uh, this is two questions in one, which can be dicey, but I think you are the kind of person who can handle it. That's, that's a big assumption on your part, but we'll see how it goes. So, number one, I was surprised how freely the money flowed, given the fact the league obviously took a financial hit last year and obviously is going to take one this year. Beyond that, who knows? I was surprised the money flowed so freely, and with the money flowing so freely, I was surprised the Jazz were able to get Derek Favors at this price because I think he's a decent starting center in the league. He'll be the best backup center in the league, but he'd be a decent starting center in the league. And I thought somebody might give him, uh, you know, fifteen million dollars a year. And the money was flowing. I thought with you know teams creating cap room, making moves. Uh, did either one of those things surprise you that there was that much money out there, or that Derek didn't get more of it? Not that he came up short. And <laughs> uh, I, I would say neither one surprised me. At- Ton. Um, once, once the the league and the players' association kind of sat down and and negotiated the terms of the amended CBA um, and decided, you know, it doesn't behoove anyone to take that massive hit to the salary cap this year. I mean, you, you guys know that the that the salary cap every year is calculated at the end of the season based on what's referred to as basketball-related income, which is uh, TV money, which is fans in the stands, spending money on jerseys and concessions and things like that, even even uh, money from naming rights to arenas and practice facilities. And, based, you know, as you alluded to, the NBA lost a ton of money this past year uh, because of COVID, uh, because of, the situation with with losing advertising in China as a result of the Daryl Morey situation, if they had negotiated, if they had, if they had followed standard protocol and and based the salary cap off of that, we'd have seen the salary cap drop from 109 million to 90 million dollars. So 19 million dollars single season drop. Uh, fortunately, cooler heads prevailed and and everyone agreed that was not uh, good for business. That, that, that would have just created chaos in terms of the number of teams that would have had to jettison good players simply because they would have been way over the cap. So um, in, keeping the, in, in, in keeping the salary cap where it was, 
um, you know, that created money to be spent for a lot of teams. Um, now, where how that impacts Fave is that I didn't foresee him getting too much extra money simply because while teams had money to spend, not too many teams had a ton of money to spend. You know, you had the Knicks out there, you had the Hawks, you had the Hornets. I, I want to say there were only maybe half a dozen teams total that had that had more than honestly like the mid level exception available that had that had like genuine cap space. So once you look at that, uh, you're you're figuring out that the majority of teams in the league have uh, the the non taxpayer mid level exception of nine point three million dollars, which is I suspect what they've got. So um could the Knicks have given him more? Yeah. Could the Hawks have given him more? Yeah, but they'd also made some moves recently um, to where, you know, they, they'd acquired several centers. I'm, I'm sure he probably would have liked to have gone back to his hometown of Atlanta, but it just turned out that the teams that had the money, um, you know, Detroit was one of those teams that had the money, and, and they acquired five centers in three days. So theoretically, Babe could have been one of those, but uh, they decided they liked other guys better. They liked Dwayne Dedman better for some reason. They liked uh, Mason Plumley better for some reason. So a little, little bit of weirdness. But, um, yeah, the market was such that there was some money to be spent, but just not enough for a guy like Derek Favors to, to get the bag, as it were. You think the Jazz still have another move in them? Uh, I, I think maybe they have a, a, a minimum veteran move to be made honestly um you know their their only other option at this point would be would be to make another trade um their cap situation is such that uh they're they're just getting close enough to the tax apron that it doesn't make sense to do anything else you know theoretically they've got that uh biannual exception they could use uh, which is, I want to say, like $3.6 million you can spend. And, you know, we've seen a few teams utilize that. That was the Lakers' uh, first signing, bringing in a guy like Wesley Matthews on a $3.6 million biannual exception. The Jazz, though, I think between the money they're spending on Mike Conley, on Rudy, on Boyan, uh, you know, using the mid-level on Fave bringing back Jordan Clarkson at the number they did. Uh, probably their, their, most of their money is spent. We're going to see them retain some of the guys on non-guaranteed contracts that they had last year, like George Niang, like Mie Aoni, guys who are paid less than $2 million a year. And then, you know, maybe they can bring in a vet minimum at $1.6 million. But I don't think there's, there's going to be anything beyond that, to be honest. We're joined right now by Eric Walden, Utah jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, as you look around the West, did the Lakers pull away from the pack? Uh, did the lack, maybe they lose a little shot blocking and that's going to be a problem for them? Or, or they just got more talent and that's a problem for everybody else? It's, it's kind of crazy that, uh, what, what being a championship winning team in Los Angeles can, can do for your ability to attract talent, right? Um, yeah, the Lakers have, have improved in my estimation. Uh, I love the, the Gasol move for them. 
you know, is he the Mark Gasol of, of 2013 when he was Defensive Player of the Year? No, he's not. You know, he's he's 35 years old. He's moving a little slower. Uh, he's, you know, he, he he's probably like a 20 minute a night tops guy at this point. But you have him. You had a Montrez Harrell. You had a Dennis Schroeder. You had a Wesley Matthews. You know, this was a team that, for all the talent it had struggled to score every time LeBron James went to the bench last year. And that's not going to be an issue now. Uh, we've seen the Clippers make a few moves. Serge Ibaka is an incredible get for them uh, to replace Montrezl Harrell. Um, as, as you mentioned, the Nuggets, I think, probably took a step back. Um, they did add uh, Jermichael Green. They did add uh, Facundo Campazzo, the, uh, the incredible... Argentine point guard who I, I understand is just going to be like incredible fun to watch. But yeah, they lose Jeremy Grant. They lose Mason Plumley. Um, they took some hits on defense. They, they wound up having to pull their offer to Tory Craig, who I know isn't a great shooter, but was a tremendous defender as we've seen in the games against the jazz. I think the Blazers got better acquiring Robert Covington bringing back Ennis Cantor, who arguably had his best stretch there. It's going to be tough, but, you know, the way I look at it, too, is the Jazz are retaining everyone who they had last year from what probably should have been the fourth-best team in the West before they, they tanked a few games in the bubble to get a seeding matchup. And then you add Derek Favors on top of that to uh, to improve the interior D. So I think Jazz fans should be encouraged. Would um, would it have been optimal to add someone who was a little bit better a perimeter defender? Yeah, it would have. But you know, they they decided that the interior D was a more pressing need, and and they went that way with it. Is it possible? And if so, please do to explain the apron and the salary cap and the hard cap to the layman. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, the salary cap is basically you're allowed at a baseline to spend about $109 million for the 15 guys on your roster, right? Um, you can go beyond that to what's called the luxury tax. Basically, the league wanted to create some opportunities for teams to uh, retain some of their own guys and you know, it, it's an inevitable fact that whenever you keep guys who you've brought up through the system over the years, they get more expensive, right? Whenever guys are changing teams, there's a chance that that the market is whatever for, for a guy, you know, coming in from elsewhere. He may make less, he may make more, you don't know. If you're retaining a guy on your team over multiple contracts, uh, you're, you're inevitably going to be paying more for him from one contract to the next. So the league created uh, this, this next level of the cap called the luxury tax, where you can exceed, um, this year the mark is $132 million. You can get up to that in order to have some wiggle room to keep your own guys. Now, that's the mark where they don't really want teams to get beyond, but again, there are some ways to do that. Um, once you start getting around the $138, $139 million mark in terms of salary, 
outgoing to players, that's where uh, that's where the trouble starts. That's where you start paying big time penalties. That's where your ability to make moves gets hampered. So that's that's where the so called tax apron is. So once you're spending above 132 million dollars, you start getting onerous taxes put on you. Um, you know, a dollar for dollar tax, a dollar fifty per dollar tax, a dollar seventy five or two dollars for every dollar that you're over. Um, and then, yeah, with some of these moves, like the Jazz using the mid-level exception, that creates a situation where they become what's called hard caps. They cannot go over $138.9 million in spending no matter what because they've used that exception. Same for if they were to use the biannual exception. These exceptions are put in place to say you can go a little bit over, but once you use this move, you can't go over that $138.9 million tax apron level. So basically, yeah, it, it's a means of enabling teams to be able to spend more, to keep guys, and also to you know occasionally improve by bringing in guys from the outside as well. So with that as a background... Are they going to get Rudy Gobert done? Because it looks like they're going down a list, checking things off. Favors, Clarkson, Mitchell. I think Gobert would be up next. What do you expect? Yeah, he, he's definitely the last one on the list. I'm curious to see what happens there. I would expect they get it done. They absolutely want to get something done. Uh, that said, I think it's also no secret out there that there's been some reservations expressed in terms of giving Rudy the so-called supermax, where he's eligible to earn 35% of the team's salary cap as a result of being an all-NBA selection and, and defensive player of the year. Um, these are the contracts that we've seen awarded to uh, the Chris Pauls and the Russell Westbrooks and the John Walls, where you know it was intended again, as a, as a means of rewarding a guy and keeping him in, keeping him with the team that he's been with. But what we've wound up seeing is uh, those contracts, more often than not, kind of become an albatross to the team handing them out. I mean, how much did Wizards regret giving a Supermax to John Wall right now? Uh, we were seeing, you know, a year ago, Chris Paul on a Supermax was thought to be untradeable and the same with Russell Westbrook. Um, so Rudy's eligible for that. The Jazz probably don't want to give that to him. Uh, but then on the flip side, we're seeing with this contract that, with this extension that Donovan got, um, that he basically has, has it written in there where he can kind of get to that level if he makes the All-NBA team. You know, his, his baseline extension is five years, $163 million. If he winds up making an all NBA team after this season, that goes up to 195. Uh, how does that play in the Rudy Gobert camp? You're willing to give that to Donovan, but not to me. Um, I don't know if that creates drama or not. I hope it doesn't because I think this team is really compelling and, and honestly just a lot better with Rudy Gobert on it than without him. But they're going to have to find some middle ground, I think, to make that happen. Um, we'll see what the timing is on that. I, w- I would suspect that, you know, as you mentioned, he's, he's kind of the last thing on the to-do list. So they ought to be working on that. I suspect they're working on it. 
I wouldn't be shocked if we heard something in the next couple of days, in fact, on it. But that's going to come down to, yeah, both sides' willingness to kind of meet somewhere in the middle, probably. Well, that's a lot for uh, jazz fans to chew on. A lot is done, and clearly a lot is still to be done. Eric, thanks for a few minutes, and uh, we'll keep reading you because camp's right around the corner. <laughs> Man, uh, yeah, you're not kidding. Like, uh, it's like this, this offseason is like drinking from a fire hose, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Thank- All right, you take care, guys. Thank you, Eric. You can read Eric Walden in the Salt Lake Tribune and follow him on Twitter as well, DJ and PK. All right, coming up, we're about 15 minutes away from our old boss, Ian Furness. What's going on in Washington? Are they going to play the Utes? Are they going to play the Cougars? Are they going to fight with the Cougars online forever? Tom Homo has a statement out, and we will read that to you next. Stay with us. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Boy, Gordon, free agency began, and things were a little quiet on the jazz front, and then, bam, 5.30 segment hits, and Derek Favors is coming back, and Jordan Clarkson is staying. Clarkson, a four-year, $52 million deal. Favors and the Jazz, three-year, $27 million deal. That's right, and the Jazz have shored up their defense without penalizing their offense, because Jordan Clarkson is an explosive scorer, and then you factor in Boyan Bogdanovich. You've got some offensive firepower alongside Donovan Mitchell. I think they're considerably better than they were before today. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. And now, really? your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Really? From the Cleveland 46, second down seven, takes the snap, play action fake, he's back, he's going to get hit, it's up in the air, and it's picked off! Taki Taki's got it! Down the sideline, 25, 20, 15, 10, it's Denzel Ward on the tip, and the pick by Taki Taki, touchdown! There is the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it today at 4.50. Did that to cross everyone up who expected a Taysom Hill touchdown. Ha! You actually have to listen, people. Get the guessers guessers out of here. Sioni Taki Taki, what a success story. He had all sorts of trouble early on in his life, and he talked about that extensively when he was at BYU, and he got it together. Good for him. Now he's playing in the NFL. If you want a purpose of BYU football that goes beyond winning games Sione Taikitaki is your prime example of that and he made a big play early in the game getting that pick six in horrible weather defensive struggle they end up winning the game 22-17 and Cleveland is 7-3 and yeah, you don't you don't scoff at seven and three. That's in the a NFL. legit good record right there, seven no and question. three. Yeah. And they have not been seven and three since nineteen ninety four. And PK, I was saying in nineteen ninety four, was Bernie Kosar still playing? because uh, it seemed like that'd be too late for him. And sure enough, Vinny Testaverde led the Browns to an eight and two start that year. I did not remember Vinny Testaverde with the Browns. That's Oh, Vinny Testaverde? Yeah, we have posters of Vinny Testaverde in our rooms growing up because he's Italian. And so, yeah, Vinny, Vinny T. Vinny T. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Vinny, Vinny T, man. They were 8-2 and two in 94. Now they're 7-3 and three, 26 years later. Best run for the Browns. Yeah, it took a little while, but they've overcome the ghost <laughs> of Tim Couch. <laughs> right? Uh, all right, so uh, Tom Homo, there have been multiple things. Uh, multiple people saying Tom Homo is going to have a statement today. It is out now. 
Tom Holman's statement, we remain open to exploring options to add football games and have been throughout the season. In that exploration process, there are a variety of factors that need to be considered, including location, prep time for the game, the chances of the game being played, the testing protocols that are in place, and what the game would do for our resume. At this point of the season, having played nine games and being nationally ranked, we're involved in discussions for possible matchups with other teams on common open dates for the benefit of both teams. Go Kooks. Okay. Well, I don't really think that says anything new. Nope. Uh, and he can't really come out and say, come on, man, what are you guys doing? <laughs> all this crap we're catching on the flag for Washington, it's not legit. you got to read between the lines because the fact is the comp – and I, I actually agree with the Larry Scott on this issue and all the other people in the conference. It needs to take care of itself first, their own members. So – Right now, ASU, it's it's a very much an iffy proposition that they'll be able to play. And there's been plenty of teams that already in this conference have had two games canceled in successive weeks. Look no further than the University of Utah and so like and Washington State. And it looks like my guess would be Arizona State is going down that direction too. And even if they play, I, I basically, I, I, well, if they play on such short notice and they lose the game, so be it. And I've been I've been saying that's not I'm a Sun Devil fan. Everybody knows that. But I said that long before the issue arose in Tempe that I'm not really counting the records this year. So I don't think that youth fan can rub that in my face. And I don't think they would try to if they can't get on the practice field for the first time in two weeks until Thursday night, Friday morning. I mean, what do you expect? As far as that goes, but I don't think it's going to happen anyway. So you got to worry about trying to find games for Utah and Washington before you worry about BYU. And it looked, and my guess would be Washington and Utah would actually be playing. I assume it would be in Salt Lake. I don't know. They played in Seattle last year. No, that- if Utah. Oh, Utah and Washington. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know that. I don't know that it makes a difference either way. I guess it does for Utah having to travel if they were to go to Washington two, year, two years in a row. But nevertheless, if that's what they can do, play. And so BYU, and in a game where they, a week where it's Thanksgiving, and I know, and in, and it's an absolute truism that Kalani told the guys on Saturday, hey, you got Thanksgiving week off. Uh, go ahead and. Uh, at least the holiday anyway, you know, schedule flights for you out-of-towners and whatnot, and some of them already did that. And now you're going to throw them back together and only to have the game potentially be canceled? I mean, it's a no-brainer that, BY- or that, yeah, that BYU wouldn't agree to this. And then I wrote about it last night because I had enough information. Information started to trickle into me on Saturday, and by 6 o'clock Sunday, I felt confident in writing what I wrote that it's not a slam on BYU. They get they get a pass for not wanting to play Washington this week, but we'll see. They got a couple other weeks in December, and if they were to back out, not saying they were, but if they did, then they wouldn't get the pass. But right now, under the circumstances, this is the right thing to do for these guys. I thought it was clear during Kyle Whittingham's press conference Saturday that uh, he was really expecting the ASU game to go away. He didn't know for sure it would, but he knows there's a really good chance it goes away, and he also knows there's a good chance they're going to get matched up with Washington. He knew the Washington-Washington State game might go away. You can go listen to the press conference. It's up on our web zone, a website at 1280thezone.com. We played it again this morning, and he said, you know, we're going to find out who we play. And that is basically Kyle starting to talk about other team situations, which he doesn't like to do. And so... It had to be front and center for him to get him to say that much into a camera and into a microphone. So as all of this 
starts to become an issue on Sunday, I keep thinking, and I'm sure you were too, you know, Kyle doesn't say BYU. He loves to beat BYU. He loves to not talk about BYU. Uh, but tell me two Cougars he's close to, PK, and tell me why. Well, I would tell you Tom Homo because he knows him from the playing days back in the day, and Kalani Sataki because he worked with him for, I'd have to add it up, a decade-ish? And me. Yeah, and you. Thank you. Uh, and so, sure enough, he's tight with the football in the 80s. They're not flying blind on this. There's no way. The, and it was Kyle's birthday Saturday. They should have won to make the story complete. He's 61 now. Well, there you go. <laughs> Already making plans for an 80th birthday celebration, I can tell you that. All right. Just skipping right over 65 and 70 and 75? Yeah, go for 80, man. Why not? The big 6-1. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. we got to take a break here. Yach's waving me off. Ian Furness is going to join us next from KJR and Q13 Fox in Seattle. Talk more about Washington, what they're doing. Are they going to play the Y? Are they going to play the U? What is up? We'll talk with Ian next.